Welcome to a new episode of Craft Beer Conversations, where the beer and the conversations always on me. Michigan's oldest brewery has been churning out beer since 1862. I went north of the Metro Detroit area to Frankenmuth to chat with Frankenmuth brewery owner H A I T H E M, last name Sarafa, S A R A F is in Frank A, and everybody calls me H. And brewmaster. My name is Steve Bushka, B U S Z is in zebra. To find out how the 160-plus-year-old microbrewery stays with tradition while still innovating in one of the biggest spaces you'll find in Michigan's biggest tourist town. You know, I I just, I want to start here because it's true, no brewery in Michigan has tradition like this. They just don't. There, There are none that exist, no matter how many times this place may have changed into where we are today. I just, I, I wonder how that influences the product and what it's like to have a place that's like this. Well, you know, Chris, uh, Frankenmuth is Christmas town. It's known for that for a number of reasons. Number one, we have the largest Christmas store in the world in Bronner's uh, here over a football field full of Christmas decorations that you could possibly imagine. We have two of the finest restaurants in the country. Uh, both Zenders and Bavarian Inn that just do a fantastic job. And people have been coming here for years. So this is the largest tourist destination in Michigan every year. Over 3 million people come to visit here. And the holidays, the Christmas holidays are the best. Everybody comes to Frankenmuth. And, and Steve, for you, I just, I wonder though, like, you know, you've been brewing for a long time, but this place has been around since the, you know, 1860s. What it's like to brew in a place that has such tradition, you just, you're not going to find it in a lot of different places. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I remember, well, the last time I came here, minus, you know, before I was employed, is in 1996 when the tornado came and blew the back off the building, which was a pretty spectacular sight. And then this place sat empty for, what, 96 to 2000 almost? 2003. Yeah, 2003 it opened. And I, I, do you know when the construction started on this? Right, 97. Oh, geez, he took a long time to make this. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, you know, it, 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 I had a giant hiatus from here until then. And you, you talk about history. There's two things going on here. One, just the age of the place, but we're in a Bavarian-style area, and that also is one of beer's oldest traditions, right? So you've got this, like, double-barrel thing going on. I mean, it's, it's something else. Right. No, I, I agree. And, you know, we do make all we make do make traditional German beers, but then we also are an American craft brewery. So we we do both sides of the of the line. How do you how do you you know, I, I go a lot of places in the metro Detroit area and they have and I'm sure this does, too, but they have regulars. But in a tourist town, you're, you said three million people. It's like having a million regulars. I mean, almost literally. Right. And so how does that change? You're brewing for a far more wide audience than most people do. Even in a place like Detroit that's huge, you're still outpacing the need to please a wider range of people. And I just, I wonder how difficult that can be. You know, I guess the philosophy is kind of like this. I mean, we make traditional German beers and things like that, but I always try to make a beer that I would enjoy. I mean, if, if, I, if I drink a pint, or if someone drinks a pint, orders another pint, and then contemplates ordering another one, you know, I, I, I did my job well then. I mean, it's, it's 
good beer. I mean, for nowadays, virtually anybody can choke down a pint of anything. But I, me, my personally, I like beer flavored beer, and this fits right in. The traditional beers fit right in with uh, with my style of brewing in the in Frankenmuth. Well, and, and so on that, like, I, and I was looking through your, your offerings, and they are, I think, more wide range than one may expect based on just, you know, it being a Bavarian-style uh, city. But so I wonder how you do innovate, right? Again, people love tradition, but they also want you to innovate at the same time. And it's like, well, though, the, again, those two things pull at each other in different directions. Right. So the innovative part, you know, I mean, the, the same equipment makes the same beer. Basically, it's a recipe and any other adjunct that you add in here. I mean, one one beer that, you know, I, I didn't really think would take off, we made it for Cinco de Mayo, is our Hot Rocket Jalapeno. And that is a blonde ale um, blended with fresh jalapenos. And that is probably as far from a German traditional beer as you can get. And, you know, we just do a balance. And, you know, H, maybe this is more for you, but you, you can both certainly answer it. How important is this space like this building is I mean it's fantastic right it's huge it's open you've got a great view of the river you can see almost all of the operation how important is the space to the experience in coming into a place like this it's absolutely crucial I mean it's it's a terrific building like you said we're the only restaurant on the Cass River which is we have two patios in the brewery and uh, the space is great we use obviously some of the space to make beer when Steve's making beer and you can smell the beer being made while you're sitting here enjoying a meal, it, it's a terrific thing. And then we developed our banquet business. We do weddings downstairs and party, holiday parties, regular parties. Um, so this building really takes care of a lot of various events and takes care of the locals and all the tourists. Because on, on a day in the summertime, we can feed almost 700 people at one time. That's how big it is, and it's beautiful. And, that, and that's not in a day. That's at one... One sitting. At one time. Yeah. That's correct. And so, and then, Steve, this may be back to you. You, you know, again, we're at a place where you're, you're brewing, like, in-house, but that, that's a huge... Most people, when I go to a, a place that's brewing in-house, they may feed or, or serve drinks to 50 people at a time, right? And so, again, to, to me, the scale changes everything and yet you still deliver like the same kind of experience as if I was talking about one of those. Like last week I was in Corktown and the place probably sat 50 people. Right? I'm in the middle of the city. But again, you get ha, so how, how? So that is, that's a challenge sometimes. I mean, on a really busy Saturday, you can almost watch a keg empty. Someone just, the handle's just pulled and they're just pulling beers. I mean, 120 120 beers is a considerable amount of beer but on a random saturday here we can go through i don't even know probably 120 beers in 10 minutes maybe i was gonna say if you're sitting 700 people and half of them get a beer you've tripled just what you've talked about right three kegs right i mean more or less right and you can you can just watch them empty so when you uh, and you guys have um, you know, seasonal beers, limited releases, that has to make that even more challenging, right? Because people, again, they're clamoring for something that's not going to be produced in, you guys can make a lot of beer, but again, if it's, a, if it's a seasonal or limited, I would think it would be hard to keep that stuff at all. You know, it's, it's basically a juggling act. I mean, we, at the beginning of the year, we sit down and we write out our game plan, what we're going to release when, 
and you know we we try and stick to that so you know at least we have a game plan now when you come and if you find a seasonal beer that you like you know are we going to have it next week maybe maybe not that's why when people come here they usually stock up on the beer that they enjoy and you know two weeks later it, there might be another favorite that they have and that that's the beauty of being able to produce at the scale you do is that while you may miss something that you liked the likelihood of you finding something that you like again is high exactly right just because of of the way you're able to and so we're talking about seasonal beers and h is wearing a christmas sweater like we're, we're in we're in christmas land right like this is it and you know i, I just i wonder we talked earlier about having the the quote-unquote pressure of being in a place like this i wonder like that would have to be if that beer was no good it would be just a travesty right if you think of the christmas town ale right so i i wonder just what goes into that and how it helps to find a place like this so we only in any brewery or any you know beer you only get uh for one chance to make a first impression if it doesn't pass you know our quality control checks it, it never even makes it up here it goes directly down the drain there are only two types of breweries breweries that dump beer and breweries that should dump beer and it, it, it i've it, never it, heard it I, I gotta tell you i love because the the end result should be the same no matter which one you are i love that no i mean that because nobody's perfect every time right exactly and and that's that's what it is it if it doesn't meet our our quality control standards and you know our our final taste it, it's not served up here because you only get one chance to make a first impression so in, in, in that same regard, and I, I shouldn't do this. One day she's going to club me over the head, though. She probably could have, should have already. My wife is not a beer person. And so I wonder how Doxyween and things like that fit in. Because if you're talking about 700 people, it would be great if all 700 of them were me, but they're not going to be. We know that. And so I wonder how Doxyween kind of... Because you want to make as many people happy as possible. You're in the service industry, right? All right, all right so it's actually Doxywine. Okay, thank even you. Even though it's German. So, I see again. So we make uh, about six different wines. We have our small winemaker's license. And so Steve, we, we just got it uh, probably about a year and a half ago uh, in order to take care of guests that just don't drink beer. So we have six to seven varieties of our Doxy wines and they're selling fantastic. They're, they do very well. For the non-beer drinker, we have the wine. And in fact, probably Within four to four or five months, we're going to have our spirits license, so we're going to be able to make spirits here as well. So we're going to have craft beer, craft wine, and craft spirits. And then, so we're taking a wider a wider frame. How we talk about food, and I say this a lot. And again, you're at a place that's so big, you'd have to have food. You couldn't be one of those places that like, hey, we're going to have a food truck come out front. Like that's not possible. Um, but I, I say this to people, and and it rings true. I could have in a bar, a brewery, the, be the best beer ever, but my sandwich sucks. It's all I'm gonna talk about. The beer's gone and all I had was a bad sandwich. And so I wonder how the menu, I'm not saying that this is true here. I just, it's a, to me, it's when you are trying to make two good things, people assume that the kitchen and the brewery are the same thing and they are not. And so I just wonder how they complement each other and, and have the drive to make them that way. So uh, on our menus, we have a number of different items all the way up and down. You know, even though this is a chicken town, uh, we make a lot of different things here at the brewery. Uh, and we pair them up with the various beers that we have on tap. Um, so somebody can order some of our appetizers. We have a big 
a German pretzel that goes well. We have buffalo chicken rolls. We have great burgers. We have uh, great steak sandwiches. And we have entrees that are big. And we sell a lot of food here because people are expecting when they have good beer, we're providing great food as well and great service. Uh, so they definitely complement each other. Yeah, because again, especially in, a, in, a, in a, the, the size here, and I, this question can be a little prickly, and I just I, I wonder how y'all have adapted over the last you know nine, ten months, and and I, I know that it's I just I, but I'm curious because what we want is, and I'm talking about me, people like me, we want places like this to survive, and I'm just curious what you've done to 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 do your best to make sure that 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 happens because I know that again you're talking about 700 people you can't flip carry out 700 times an hour doesn't work that way never gonna happen so you know in the COVID I mean we don't make kegs anymore kegs are non-existent because there's no bars or restaurants open like that we still do a, a, a fairly you know large amount of packaged beer so all of our our Hefeweizen and our Bat 69 and our old Detroit and things like that are going out in in bottles so we're surviving I, I guess survive is a, is a good is a good term for that I mean would it, do we miss the business from the from the uh, tap room and the tasting room absolutely that's that's pretty much the bread and butter for the for the brewery for the beer let's talk about what happened obviously we closed down via the government regulations we closed on March 16th we shut the whole place down um, and we did not open back up until August 16th when she let us have 50% and we had outdoor seating for a while. The big problem for us is I had so many weddings to book that were already booked and I'm calling brides, telling them they can't have their wedding here because of the government shutdown. Then of course we had the 50%. So some of the people had, we told them to take their party down to hundred people that we were gonna be able to do that in November and December and then we got shut down again for the three-week period and now for the 12-day period. So it's been difficult from a customer standpoint, making sure the customer is taken care of. And again, on the employee standpoint, because when I went to 50%, I was able to hire quite a few people back. But now that I'm going back to only carry out, I don't need that many people again. So I'm putting my employees at risk with respect to not being able to bring them back until we get fully open. We've done all of the protocols. Everybody has a mask on. Um, we take temperatures of our employees. Uh, we clean constantly. Uh, we keep- Breweries are some of the cleanest places on the planet already. <laughs> yeah. like people need to understand how clean they have to be to work. Yeah, absolutely. And then we keep the table six feet apart and we, we have followed all of the guidelines. Uh, yet it's very difficult to keep a building like this running when you don't have any business, uh, which is pretty much the the situation that we're in. So how do you, and I know that this is like a loaded question, how do you forecast, right? Because Steve earlier said that y'all, you sit together and you have a plan. We're gonna release these beers here, we're gonna do this. And like, you know, any kind of planning over the last 10 months has been, you can do it, but I don't know what good it's gonna bring you. It may be some, maybe it'll make you feel better. I, I don't know, I just, so I wonder how you, because again, things may be on a pause, but your lives continue and the need for this business to be viable continues as well. So I just, I wonder how you plan. Things seem to be on the horizon looking better, maybe, but so I just wonder, you know. So w with our distribution partners now, in, instead of, you know, 
having holding minimums of beer and things like that. We're calling calling them up and saying, "Listen, we're going to make some we're going to make some hefeweizen. It's going to be done in, you know, 30 days. How many cases would you like?" So we're basically brewing to order. So we're we're doing that. So we're we're trying to take a little bit less risk on that point as opposed to make a bunch of beer because beer does have a shelf life. I mean, it, there's an expiration date on that. So we're trying to, and we've done a decent job of not overproducing anything, and and that's from the help from our distribution partners in how, Michigan. How big of the, and you don't have to get into specifics because you don't want to, but like, how big is the outside sales compared to, like, like bottle? I mean, like, again, you're saying it's helping you, but it's not, obviously not enough to continue that way. We we do about 25 percent of our total beer consumed. 20-25% is in this building. So 75% of our beer that we make is, is sold outside and usually about 60 plus percent of it was in kegs. So right. have we taken a, a hit on the beer set? Absolutely. As everybody else has also. And so this is probably even a more difficult question but I like asking people because I'm always curious just the way people think like I know you can't really put this aside but as far as like what's what do you want next for a place like this, I mean, obviously we want it to be open and for people to come back and, and all that, but like, if you put that aside, like as you look long range, how do you grow a business that's, I mean, this place is huge and you're already doing so much volume. I wonder, like I talked about innovating, you know, in the in the, in the the keg room, right? But I'm, how do you innovate just from a business standpoint? Because again, this place is really old and it's great, but everyone needs to continually move forward while preserving tradition. Again, that's kind of a conundrum. People want two things that are different. Yeah, so uh, we've done a couple things. Uh, we've got QR codes, so uh, when people come in, they they do they use their phone to get our menus. So there's touchless menus. When you pay, you can also have touchless pay and go. So we've implemented all that. Um, like I said, obviously the tables are far apart, and you know when we get back to business, regular business when 100% is open, you know from May through December we're packed. And when the festivals come back into town, because Frankenmuth has usually 17 to 20 festivals, most of them which have been canceled, obviously in 2019, but once those open as, up as well, um, then our business will come back stronger than ever. Uh, so we're excited about the opportunity. We've, we've got now, we've got two patios open, uh, obviously in the summer and the springtime. Um, but again, it's just a matter of bringing the people in and we're ready to serve them. And then just one more, because you guys are, are here. What, what have you noticed just over the last month or so, right? Like as we get into the Christmas season, just being in Frankenmuth and having people come and go. And obviously everything is different. I just wonder like what you notice that's different in a place like this. Because I mean, again, people, I mean, this is Christmas town. Um, you know, and this might be a, a, a more general comment of not just Frankenmuth, but you know, if, if one thing that, you know, the, the pandemic or COVID-19 has brought out, at least in my opinion, for some reason, people have gotten a little bit nicer and kinder to each other. It, 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 at least when the people that show up here, you know, some before this, people used to be in a little bit more of a rush and a little bit more bothered. Touristy, and, right? They're going places. They got stuff correct. to do. And now, for the most part, everybody that shows up here is Thank you. How are you doing? And it just—it seems to be a little bit slower pace and and a little more genuine. 
And, and, and I don't know if that's just, you know, it's just my opinion only on that. I think a lot of places are worried that places like this won't survive, and so they're willing to do more and give more and be more gracious. Maybe not this place specifically, but just, you know, small business in, in general. Well, again, people are, have been very understanding. Obviously, we, we, did, we don't have the huge many that we used to have. Uh, we've spit, you know pared it down to about 25 different items. Right now, we used to probably have over 100 items. People have been very understanding with respect to doing, to having a, a shortened menu and only been able to get certain things. Um, obviously, we can't, the, the waitresses or the servers that take care of them try and do the best job they can, but they have to keep the social distancing as they can. If our food takes a little bit longer because we have to, like I said, like Steve said, everybody seems to be more understanding and kind of chilling out. And that the fact that they're out, they're very happy to be out. That was my conversation with Frankenmuth brewery owner Hytham Sarafa and brewmaster Stephen Bushka. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss anything across the Metro Detroit craft beer landscape and beyond. Plus, you can always follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, all at Zachy e. Clark to see what I'm up to.